Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshaw.net. Episode 61, A Transparent Consultation Process. While honesty and politicians have rarely been put in the same sentence for many, many years, in more recent times, telling the truth has become completely unpalatable for politicians, and the language of spin has become completely normal. You know, instead of saying things like, there will be cuts to turned into there will be adjustments made to or more recently during the COVID-19 pandemic the mantra that schools are safe and it was the movement of a million people to the schools that was the issue. This, These are examples of how even something as simple as telling the truth um, is so unpalatable that everything has to be twisted and spun into something that sounds more palatable rather than actually saying exactly what's happening. So it's become very unsurprising that there's more and more conspiracy theorists out there. And again, as we've seen with this pandemic, there's a huge distrust or mistrust in certain circles about, let's say, the vaccination programme. Um, there's wild theories that the vaccination programme is could be anything from being part of a plan to keep the global population down to you know, or to more extreme theories that we're all being implanted with 5G microchips so we can be seen and, and monitored for, uh, and so on. Um, I mean, spin, I mean, even the word spin is basically spin for the word lying as such. And in this episode, I'm going to focus on another spinned word. And that spinned word is the word consultation. I'm going to examine some of the consultations that have happened in primary education mostly in the last number of years and argue that if I were the Minister for Education, I would try and ensure a transparent consultation process. Hello, hello, you are welcome to episode 61 of If I Were the Minister for Education. This is Simon Lewis from Onshaw.net. Uh, if you are interested in listening to some of the previous episodes of If I Were the Minister for Education, you can head on over to your favourite podcasting tool or you can go to onshaw.net and you'll see all of these podcast episodes listed on the front page. I'd welcome any comments or arguments or debates on anything that I've uh, uh, spoken about um, and um, and uh, hope you enjoy listening to some of the previous episodes. Um, I'm going to talk uh, a little bit about consultation today and this is certainly not what you describe as consultation. Uh, in fact, uh, what I'm doing, <laughs> to be honest with you, is uh, I'm uh, doing the opposite of consultation you. I'm telling you my vision without consulting with you at all, which is kind of really what consultation is when politicians mention uh, the word consultation. They have their own thoughts on something, but they uh, offer a consultation out uh, to give the impression that they're that they're interested in what you're talking about, uh, but they actually go ahead with their own thing. Now, just going back to that word spin, because I, I just feel I, I need to say one more thing about it. Um, because the majority of people, I think, 
I think, can see through spin. I mean, we hear it all the time. I mean, every day and every time you go on the news and you hear a politician talking about something, no matter what it is, it doesn't have to be about education. Uh, in fact, it's it's mostly not about education if you're listening to the news. there's there's they, they spin whatever story it might be to sound better than the thing it might be. Um, so, I mean, I, I there's no point in giving you examples of what's happening right now because it will date too much. But... I think most people, the majority of people, have the cognitive ability and the capability to see through the spin. Um, you know, but it isn't always the case. Some people don't have the ability to see through spin. I mean, most people, yes, they shrug their shoulders these days when they hear the government saying adjustments instead of cuts, or when they hear significant funding, they know it means that there isn't extra funding coming. They, whatever it might be. Um, and, and people will listen to the to, to, to the, these things and, and almost laugh at it because they know what it really means. But most, but a lot of people believe it, particularly the politicians themselves um, who are creating the spin, or well, at least they give the impression that they believe it. But it's not always the case. If you just think of this example, okay, at the moment, right, people, and in the last number of years, people have taken to the streets to protest about certain things and yet on for exactly the same thing it's the same the same issue that they go to the streets on they don't protest at all in fact they don't think it's a bad thing at all and this is an example of spin for example uh, of how spin works so for example one of the um one of the most uh, common examples i suppose the best example i can give is the there are thousands tens of thousands of people who who march the streets of dublin uh, when the National Maternity Hospital, when it was heard that the National Maternity Hospital was being, the building, the new building, was being gifted back to the Catholic Church. So therefore, the Catholic Church would own that building. And therefore, there was a worry that the Catholic Church's, uh, is, uh, the Catholic Church's kind of uh, dogma or doctrine on um, women's uh, reproductive, um, I suppose, uh, re reproduction systems uh, would then become um, influenced by the Catholic Church. So, for example, um, you know, abortion would be the, the most common example. But there's lots of other issues because um, any, any issue would have to go through their ethics uh, board uh, who might disallow certain things like contraception even, uh, for example, which is against uh, Catholic doctrine. Okay. However, when it comes so exactly the same thing happening in education. And it happens not just once, it happens many times during the year. I.e. when there is a new school building uh, of a school under Catholic ethos, that building is gifted back to the Catholic Church to allow them to um, impose their doctrine in their schools. And how many protests on the streets have there been about that? It's how it's sold. If you look at um, if you look at a new school building being announced, there is not a single mention of the ethos of that school in that statement. They welcome the building and so on, and and they talk about inclusion and stuff like that, uh, and and the new and how it's going to be state of the art and blah 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 blah. There is no mention of the Catholic ethos. Very interesting how spin works. But as you know, I'm interested in education. And I first noticed the scourge of spin entering the system around 2008, just in time for the Celtic Tiger to crash, when spin was much needed because there was nothing but bad news. Now, not only did the government start to become fluent in using spin to create more positive stories from awful situations, I mean, the country, as many of us remember, was 
and I, we were we were in such trouble it was it was awful um and 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 we're still feeling the impact of that even uh, even now uh, you know which is unsurprising because it was such a big crash and um, spin was the tool that was used to maybe put a gloss over terrible situations but the thing is everyone started to do it including schools themselves and as I've just um, mentioned briefly, for me, the most vulgar of the spin has been the word inclusive, when schools describe themselves as inclusive schools. Now, giving you an example, principles of single-sex denominational schools, without a hint of irony, will state that their schools are fully inclusive schools, despite the fact that they exclude a whole 50% of the population based on gender, and they can't in fully include people of different faiths fully, because sending someone to the back of the class to do colouring is not fully inclusive. The real world, the, sorry, the real world, or the real word that they're looking for not is not inclusive, it's tolerant. That's what they are. But that doesn't sound as good. So spin isn't just something that, that politicians use. We're all guilty of it, from schools to our representative bodies who are very guilty of it these days, to, um, uh, to, to our politicians, to uh, probably um, all of us around. We're all guilty of being trapped by this idea of spinning stories, spinning yarns. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we have to look at that as something we need to do. However, this episode isn't actually about the word inclusive. Um, I could do a full episode of that. And I, <laughs> funnily enough, I probably have mentioned it more times in more, more podcasts than anything else. But it's about another word. Uh, and it's been around for a lot longer. And that's the word consultation. When it comes to consultation, I can think of two examples straight away in education where the word was completely meaningless. Drihid and the Patronage and Pluralism Programme. Both of these started off as consultations about a decade ago, when the word, uh, when spin began, I suppose. And it, 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 I mean, spin has always been around, of course, but I mean, when it really, really took hold in Ireland, uh, in the education system. And, it, and spin arrived like a hurricane into the education system. It really did. Before the Celtic Tiger, yes, there was elements of spin. There's no, there's no doubt about it. But it, everything has become spun since the recession. So let's take the example of Drihid, or SEP as it was known back then, C-E-P-P, uh, for those of you who haven't heard of it. Uh, and SEP is basically what Drihid is now, minus the evaluation aspect of it. Okay, So SEP basically was the idea that uh, inspectors would no longer uh, evaluate newly qualified teachers, and there would be a mentoring uh, sort of system for the year, um, and basically that schools would evaluate the NQTs or the principal would evaluate the NQTs to make sure that they were inducted into teaching. Now, the consultations had absolutely no impact on what Drihid have ended up becoming because despite over 90% of teachers being completely against the idea of Drihid or SEP as it was, and despite all the various supposed consultations, and I was in one of these consultations, um, and whatever I said, it just uh, and it wasn't just me, whatever most people in the room said, uh, was completely ignored in the consultations. And it absolutely wasn't just, just me being against uh, SEP or Drihid. I, I remember organising um, a meeting of, uh, of, of principals in Carlo where the, where the room was actually packed out. It was the only time 
uh, I organised uh, a talk for the uh, for my local uh, uh, network where the room was absolutely packed with people mainly in beards in the front row shouting never ever ever when it talked about Drihid or SEP as it was known then but you know effectively Drihid came along and it, as it as it had been um, as it had been imagined uh, in the beginning minus the evaluation and is now cemented in the system. Now, some of you might argue that I'm wrong here because, because of the evaluation piece. You know, Drihid or SEP started off as having an evaluation strand on the school and that's gone. Um, and you would probably say that's because of consultation. But the actual reality was the removal of evaluation wasn't actually because of consultation. If certainly you look back at any, anything around consultation and uh, around Drihid and, and look at the impact of, 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 of what that happened. It didn't actually have any impact. Um, it was actually due to a forced through emergency motion at the INTO Congress that evaluation was dropped. That's not consultation, that's industrial action and protest. So it's an example, I suppose, first of all, that I can think of straight away. The second example is the patronage and pluralism fiasco, as I call it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a ridiculous notion in the first place, but uh, I've spoken about that before. But there's, but there's many, many strands to this patronage and pluralism fiasco. Um, of how consultation has been completely ignored. And I'll be touching on examples of how consultation was meaningless throughout its failed existence, which continues to be, and how we've actually now, in 2020, ended up exactly where the government intended to start it off around 2008-2009, before they started their consultation. However, we'll park that for a few minutes um, and we will move on because we'll be coming back to it. If we're going to be talking about consultation, two ministers for education jump out, Rory Quinn and Richard Bruton. Neither before nor since have we had so many consultations when it came to education. I mean, how many consultations do you remember Bat O'Keefe or Mary Hannafin actually having? How many consultations have you heard Joe McHugh or Norma Foley even having? Yes, the two ministers, Rory Quinn and Richard Bruton, to be fair, were trying to make major changes to the education system. But the problem for both of them was they weren't actually really interested in consultation. They weren't, they were interested in making changes, but they weren't really interested in the consultations that they actually, you know, I suppose, I suppose they put out there. And um, they were interested in what they wanted to see happening. So for Richard Bruton, he was looking to turn our education system into a kind of a feeder system for industry, for want of, I'm supposed to simplify what he kind of wanted. He was all about trying to push through things like coding in schools, teaming up industries with schools and so on, in order to create this system where the education system filtered in through into 21st century industry. And I don't fully understand what the word neoliberalism means, but this seems to be the word that most people describe Bruton's vision as being. And I can only, um, I suppose, um, I, I suppose, I, I don't know, agree or, or um, agree is not probably the right word, concede to, 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 that, uh, to, to the word of neoliberalism because it sounds like it probably was the, uh, the correct terminology that people, I mean, far more intelligent than me, uh, were, were using. So I, I think I was concede that that's what uh, Richard Bruton's uh, vision was. Um, I don't think... And I also don't think they were being complimentary when they were saying it was neoliberal. Um, I think neo-anything is uh, probably not complimentary. Rory Quinn's tenure was slightly more complex than Richard Bruton's, uh, insofar as Richard Bruton's could be summed up as neoliberal 
or I suppose industry feeding, let's say. But Rory Quinn's tenure was slightly more complex insofar as he didn't really have a single vision. He tried to tackle lots of things or lots of problems as he saw them. And again, he found himself guilty of using the spinned version of consultation rather than an actual consultation. And it was probably the sword that he eventually fell on in the end, unfortunately, because when he, and that was when he tried to take on the junior cycle or the second level system at all. And uh, it was very quickly uh, usurped in a uh, sort of usurped, is that the right word? Anyway, he was put aside, put to pasture um, in a cabinet reshuffle. And um, while I agreed with a lot of Rory Quinn's ideas, you know, for basically separating church and state and reimagining second level, unfortunately for me, he also brought in potentially the most harmful initiatives to primary education. The Literacy and Numeracy Plan has altered the shape of primary education for far worse than he possibly even imagined. It was ill-thought and it's already led to primary education becoming data-focused instead of an holistic experience. The primary education system is a much better place without the Literacy and Industry Plan, which he brought in. And he was also the minister at the time, I suppose we can't forget, he was also the minister at the time, and savage cuts were made to all aspects of primary education. But in his case, I suppose most notably to children with additional needs. At one point where he... Um, at one point, he reduced uh, special education supports in schools by 15%. He tried to bring that to 25%, but his colleagues uh, stopped him Stopped him in his tracks, I suppose, at that point. But the 15% cuts that he made to special education in, uh, to, uh, or resource hours, as they were at the time, have never been recovered. And we have seen the absolute, um, I suppose, the impact of that, um, you know, not just... Uh, to children with additional needs, but also to all children within the system. And I would say, and it gives me no pleasure to say it, Rory Quinn is probably guilty of making education a far worse place than it was before he started with it. As I said, it gives me no pleasure at all to say that because I agree with almost everything else he tried to do. However, one thing Rory Quinn did say in an interview, and I, I'm st- I can't remember the actual interview, I remember him saying it, but I just can't remember when it was, because I, so I'll have to paraphrase here, was... It was, it was his own opinion on consultation. It was interesting to me because he said, consultation means that all views will be listened to, but doesn't necessarily mean that any of the views will be taken on board. Now, I thought it might be a good idea for this episode to go through some of the consultations that Rory Quinn and Richard Bruton started with and what became of them. So what I did was I Googled both ministers' names and the word consultation, And I'm basically going to list the consultations they started and kind of try and see what happened. I am not going to go into lots and lots of details because there were far too many consultations. uh, So I'll I'll briefly try and summarise them. I'm also going to do them slightly unscripted um, and just kind of what I have here in front of me are notes on the consultations I found. And um, I'm going to just try and, um, I suppose... Uh, give a brief summary of each consultation and what become of them. You'll have to excuse my dog barking in the background. Uh, we have a lot of birds out, outside in our garden at the moment and uh, he's uh, he's giving out to them for uh, entering his domain. But anyway, um, uh, I, as I said, this is going to be slightly unscripted, so um, I'll probably leave loads of things out, but hopefully we'll, a pattern will emerge. So we'll start with Rory Quinn 
And we'll start in 2013 with a leaflet he developed with the National Parents Council on inclusiveness. Um, and he did a consultation about inclusiveness in primary schools. And it was basically how can primary schools make all children feel included and involved? And it was for parents and they wanted to know what they thought. And it was a, I, I don't know, I think it was a, a it was a leaflet, it was an eight page leaflet, so fairly long. Um, and um, essentially um, the idea behind it, I suppose, I absolutely agree with everything in it. And I, I have it here in front of me. Um, he, he, and he basically wants to find out um, through from families to make sure that the rights and beliefs of children and families from various cultural and religious backgrounds are respected in primary schools. Now, he knew, and, we, and I know, and we all really do know that families from various cultural and religious backgrounds are not respected in most of our primary schools. Um, now, respect, uh, they, are, they are tolerated at best, as we know. Um, and I know that's unpalatable for many of you listening, but this is the case. So he wanted to do a consultation and, he, and people had until November 2013 to give that. And it goes on about the background, uh, about how 96% of schools are controlled by uh, or, or are owned by religious patrons and um, what impact that has. Um, he talks about where there's only one local school in an area and how does that impact uh, minorities in those areas. Uh, he wants to know what can be done uh, to help the current system adapt, um, what's been done so far. Um, so he talks about um, an expert group to consult with people. Now, it, it's interesting how that, uh, that consultation, because I, I haven't included that, I didn't, uh, that con consultation. And the reason I haven't included that consultation is because who did he consult with? He didn't consult with them. He didn't consult with people that mattered, because the um, because what came out of it was the advisory group to the form of patronage and pluralism in the primary sector, which and the people they consulted with mustn't have seen uh, and mustn't have realised that the uh, the pluralism and patronage form is a ridiculous notion. But anyway, we we'll, we we'll, we'll, I've talked about this so much that I, there's no point in talking about it. But anyway, it, it goes on a little bit. Um, about the about the consultation, uh, about the right to opt out, about the right of enrolments, about the idea of uh, the ethics and education about religious beliefs that he wants he was trying to bring in the ERBE curriculum into all schools. He wants to talk about sacraments and the preparation and the time that took. He wants to talk about celebrating other religious holidays, <coughs> excuse me, and so on. Um, he wants to talk about assembly and prayers, the school's boards of management and how they're made up of. He wants to talk about complaints and appeals and so on. So these are things that he wanted to ask parents about. And none of these things should be new to you. And none of these things uh, were, uh, and I suppose all those things were new at the time. But I think you can, uh, you can see where this uh, kind of went. Um, the, what happened really was the patronage and pluralism program continued on. And despite um, the facts of all the things that I've mentioned, um, really all that's happened was what was happening in the first place with the Patronage and Pluralism um, Forum, which was basically we need to divest schools to give more choice to all families in, uh, in Ireland. It wasn't to actually examine the uh, structural and institutionalised, um, I suppose, discrimination that having different types of patrons and having pluralism within a, within schools had effectively the only reason for this consultation was this absolutely narrow view that uh, we should have choice so that wherever you live you should have a choice of schools 
despite the fact that that's completely impossible. There is no way that this is possible. And yet that is the vision and it continues today, seven years, seven, eight years later, the, the values of the patronage and pluralism system, despite all evidence, are still that we should have school choice. And um, effectively, all the consult consultations that were made um, have had no impact whatsoever, um, really. Everything that was supposed, everything that was already in the pluralism and patronage program in 2011 continued despite what the consultation said. If you um, um, if you wanted to find what people said about the uh, in that inclusiveness um, consultation, you can absolutely guarantee that most of what was put in, uh, most of what was there was uh, basically wasn't acted upon. So the consultation in a way was meaningless. Let's move on to something less controversial: school uniforms. <laughs> less controversial. It's funny how something as stupid as clothes can become more controversial and raises and, and, and raises much more public discourse than something much more important than religious discrimination and racism in schools. If if you listen to if you if if you want to I mean I even even from this podcast if you want to find if if you want to know what the most popular um topics for 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 um, discussion are in this uh, for this uh, uh, podcast. So basically, when I release a podcast, there's an element of discussion that comes after it, and the um, and I can talk about religion in schools. I can talk about uh, racism in schools. I can talk about anything. I mean, talking about massive issues, uh, but the ones that get the most feedback. If I'm looking for a few extra tweets, all I need to do is retweet my episode on school uniforms or homework. I mean two utterly meaningless things in reality, uh, but they're the ones that, um, that gain the most uh, discussion. However, let's talk about consultation. Um, there was a consultation on school uniforms from Rory Quinn 2013 with two questions. Do parents want their school to have a uniform? And if so, whether they want generic or bespoke uniforms? Um, and then it continued, generic uniforms instead of school crests uh, sorry, this says, uh, so I, uh, generic uniforms instead of school, it comes up every year uh, with the same agenda because, I mean, effectively those two questions essentially had, had two answers. Okay, do parents want their school to have a uniform? The majority of parents, even if it's a bad idea, want to have a school uniform. And if so, whether they want generic or bespoke uniforms. Now, when they say bespoke, I can't believe the word bespoke was there. That's interesting. I thought Joe McHugh invented the word bespoke. It actually was in 2013. But anyway, bespoke uniforms in this case meant that there would be a, a, a particular uniform, particular school. So you bought the uniform. Um, so, for example, whereas a generic uniform, uniform would be you, you bought colours and you could stitch on a crest if necessary or not. Um, so everyone would wear the same colour, let's say. Um, now, the answer to that question, it, it, it's very clear. I mean, most parents uh, want generic uniforms uh, because it's cheaper. You can buy a uniform, a generic uniform for a fiver in Lidl, uh, for example, whereas bespoke uniforms cost 60 euro, 70, 80 euro. Uh, so, I mean, it's a no-brainer answer. So the, the consultation really wasn't to get the opinions. They already made the decision. And in a way, they're still waiting for that to happen because it there's been a bit of a stalemate, not because of consultation, but because of protest. Schools are literally ignoring government advice and insisting on bespoke uniforms. And therefore, uh, every year it just comes up. So 
and it's the same agenda. So rather than actually scrapping uniforms because they're a stupid idea anyway, it's still being discussed. Like in 2019, you know, only, two, only a couple of years ago, it was still being discussed. Like here, I'm just taking this from the Dáil record. Deputy Declan Vratnach asked the Minister for Education and Skills if a report has been carried out on the impact that the introduction of generic school uniforms would have on stockists, wholesalers, manufacturers and embroiders of school uniforms and if you'll make a statement on the matter. I mean, what a ridiculous thing to take up time on. I mean, it's such... It's so nonsensical. I mean, you know, if you're a government, stop it. You know, just stop this and, and make a decision. Uh, get rid of uniforms. Or if you have to have uniforms, you know. But this is, I suppose the thing is, all schools are private fiefdoms that can make their own rules. So effectively, the government shouldn't be, you know, should just butt out, really. Or, you know, I don't know what they should do, to be honest with you. But the consultation is meaningless because they do have a vision. They want generic uniforms in uh, for for schools um and effectively they can't really do anything about it so they pretend to be consulting i suppose and we can see that even in 2020 last year it's still on the agenda i mean just even even to the point of that um and i don't like bringing up this as, as an example but remember the leggings issue in presentation college in carlo i mean like this is due to uniform policies and things like this is this is you know when we're when we spend all our time not doing anything and pretending that we're consulting when we have an agenda for generic uniforms and so on and it's just being ignored completely we end up with a complete mess and the presentation college issue was a complete mess for everyone everyone in that system especially the young women in that school who were absolutely impacted by 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 that and absolutely the the male staff as well who were um, who were who were terribly treated too but it was a mess it doesn't matter what side of the fence you stand on in that whole debate. It was a mess. And it's because of the silliness of consultations and the fact that they, they have no impact whatsoever and they're a waste of time. Let's move on to 2014, the digital strategy. Um, now, they were looking for a consultation again. Rory Kuhn was looking for a consultation again on uh, how best uh, to uh, have an impact on, uh, how best can digital technology have an impact on, on education? And when we focus on primary education, the answer in the consultation, always, without fail, and across every single patron body, across every single representation body, across everywhere, has been we need better broadband and we need better and we need technical support for schools. And do you think they have once, do you think they're doing it? No, not at all. Not at all. What, they're, what the plan was to involve industry in the digital strategy. And that's the agenda. So the consultation is completely meaningless. What we actually want and what the consultation report said was better broadband, better technical support, or actually any broad, good broadband and good technical support. And, 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 and has anything come of it? Absolutely not. Moving on, uh, in 2014, there was a consultation on education for sustainable development. I, I mean, I, this consultation, I think, must be the longest consultation that's ever been going. I think nobody, I think it's because people don't understand what they're, what they're looking for. If you read the strands of this education for sustainable development plan, it's really difficult to understand what they actually want. And rather than, you know, and, and they just continue to consult because, until I don't know what they're waiting for. I suppose they must, they're, they're waiting for like the curriculum to change so they can just do what they were going to do in the first place. But again, I know I'm not going to spend much more time on this because it's just not happening. And the consultation is just continues. Every year they kind of do this consultation 
And, and I just, I don't think they're getting much feedback, but the feedback they're getting isn't what they're looking for because it isn't fitting in with what their original plan was and what they're trying to push through. And, and then just, I suppose I have to mention um, the overhaul of the junior cycle, which was the sword that Rory Quinn fell on, one that I agreed with completely. And I see this is an example of when his consultation kind of, I suppose, it's, it's probably the best example I can find about the consultation. Uh, and, and the meaninglessness of it. Rory Quinn did a consultation for the junior cycle. All second level schools were completely against the reform of it. Uh, pretty much all of them. Uh, I think I think with one exception. Um, and uh, he pressed ahead with it anyway. And effectively, that was the end of Rory Quinn. Um, I'll do one more of Rory Quinn's um, because I suppose it was his earliest one. It was the literacy and numeracy strategy um, in 2011. Uh, this was done as a result of PISA results uh, coming out so in 2011, uh, the results of the 2008 uh, PISA uh, test showed that Ireland had dropped a little bit uh, in terms of its literacy and numeracy, where we were no longer in the top five, let's say, in terms of literacy. Um, and, 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 a little, and I suppose we'd gone down a little bit in numeracy as well. And in reaction to that, what happened was he straight away um, created this strategy um, without any evidence apart from the PISA results. Now, the PISA results are just one aspect and one tiny, tiny bit of evidence uh, for our overall, um, I suppose, our overall, uh, you know, I suppose, situation in terms of literacy and numeracy. Um, and, and, there, and, and, and effectively, it seemed to be a blip. You know, we were we, like consistently over the, the last, I suppose, the 1980s, uh, Ireland has performed extremely well in literacy and numeracy. In 2008, we just... I suppose we went from being above average to being around average, which isn't, you know, and so the, the right thing to have done would have been to, I suppose, examine what would happen in the next PISA thing. And if we can, if the, if we found that where there was a trend emerging, that we were continually dropping, then, you know, absolutely we'd have a problem. Um, but based on a single blip, which it turned out to be because we actually went straight back up uh, before the literacy and numeracy uh, strategy actually had time to uh, be to even start, we went back to being, uh, you know, uh, you know, not uh, almost the top of uh, the top of the the table again. What happened was in a rush, um, he developed this literacy and numeracy strategy, which is now which has basically had a huge impact for the worse on our primary education system. And um, but if you read the literacy and numeracy strategy, Rory Quinn said, the strategy was developed following an extensive consultation process. And I want to thank the many individual schools, groups and organizations contributed to the shaping of this important document. There was no consultation. There couldn't have been a consultation. It was done within, I'd say within weeks of the PISA results coming out. It was done in a rush. There was no consultation. And yet Rory Quinn decided to say that it was followed an extensive consultation it was not an extensive health consultation process so it needs uh, that that's uh, a ridiculous thing for him to say and what happened well what's happened our PISA results before the uh, before the literacy and numeracy strategy actually took shit took hold we went back to where we were as high up uh, as we were before it was a blip and now we have embedded into our system this this awful strategy which now has SSE um, at the centre of it. Now, SSE is a ridiculous, um, again, another ridiculous thing that schools take on and um, and they've taken on where they identify areas for improvement. Schools already, uh, the funny thing is, no one, I don't, no one has ever done SSE where they have failed in their, um, in their targets. 
if you look at anyone's SSE reports, no one actually fails in, in, in the targets. It's, it's really interesting. Have a look uh, at any published, uh, published reports because similarly to consultation, these SSE uh, targets are basically predetermined before they even start. And despite the idea of consultation and so on, effectively, they're completely meaningless. Um, essentially, consultation, again, being completely meaningless thanks to the literacy and numeracy strategy. Let's move on to Richard Bruton because maybe he did consultations properly. Who knows? I mean, we'll have to, we'll have to give him the benefit of that and have a look and see um, if, uh, that's, um, if, that's a, if that's a thing. Um, let's, uh, give it a, let's give it a look here and, um, and um, we will check him out. Because he, um, if you remember Richard Bruton, his mantra was he wanted Ireland to have the best education system in the world by 2026. Yes, the best education system in the world ever, ever, ever. Um, so you remember things like Kumasu and the 83 targets for improvement in 2019, most of which weren't improvements, nor were they consulted. But let's look at some of them in, in, in no particular order. Um, oh, I suppose let's start with the most obvious one. 2016-ish and the baptism barrier. Do you remember back in the olden days, five or six years ago, um, if you wanted to go to your local primary school and you weren't Catholic, uh, because in most cases it was Catholic schools, you were, um, you were told, well, unfortunately, because you're not Catholic, we have to let in all the Catholic uh, children first. Then we'll probably let in the Christian children. And then if there's any space, we'll let you into our school. Yeah, I mean, that sounds really vulgar now, doesn't it? But remember you were defending it back then? Yeah. You remember it? Yeah, I remember it. Anyway, <clears throat> um, let's let uh, Richard Bruton was the one who, uh, was the politician who was uh, <coughs> excuse me he was decided there to um, to um, sort of remove the baptism barrier and he did this through consultation and there were four th four options. So one of the options is to keep things where they were. So if you weren't the right religion, you were at the bottom of the list in terms of enrollments um, and. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, a lot of schools uh, were probably happy enough with that because, as they say, it only affects 4% of children, really, in reality, this baptism barrier. I can't believe that. I, I mean, I wonder if anyone would still defend it these days. It'd be interesting. Anyway, you could keep things as they were. You could limit the discrimination um, uh, to only their catchment area because, again, um, there was the system allowed, the baptism barrier allowed all Catholic children to move uh, to, to move away from the catchment areas and still have priority from local children uh, in the school. So for example, you can't, so this, this new law, you meant you couldn't prioritize a Catholic family outside of the parish, let's say from someone who is a minority or a faith or an atheist, um, you know, uh, it, to take the place in the school. So let's say you lived in, I don't know, Rathgar, and you were a Catholic school, and you were a, you were a, an atheist trying to get into a school in Rathgar. I, I, I don't know why I'm giving this example. Surely this didn't happen. And uh, for example, children from Terenure and Rathfarnham and uh, and Rathmines were trying to get into the school from Rathgar. And if they were Catholic, they jumped the queue in Rathgar uh, from the atheists. That, that kind of thing. So that that would be uh, another option. So basically, keep things as they were. Stop that system where other parishes would come in. And um, then there was the. Um, Third option there, allow minority faiths. So Catholics weren't allowed to discriminate, but other faiths could discriminate, i.e. the only three other faiths, Church of Ireland, Jew, Jewish and Muslim, they could discriminate for enrollment or remove the ability for any school at all. So the final option to discriminate on religious grounds and so no one could discriminate on access. 
Now, the vast, vast majority, the vast majority on the consultation were in favour of option four. You're not allowed to discriminate at all on any religious grounds, no matter what it was. Richard Bruton was in favour, though, of allowing minorities to, dis to discriminate. And do you know what happened? Do you know what happened? Despite the fact that the majority of people were in favour of option four, as in no discrimination whatsoever, and despite the fact that very, very few people actually were interested in minority schools allowing, continuing to discriminate, Richard Bruton was in favour of that. And do you know what happened? Yeah. Now we have an even worse system than we had when he started because he pushed through an agenda that was actually, that actually has led to further, more, more discrimination, um, unfortunately, and, uh, and a more complicated uh, discriminatory system. And it, the consultation process didn't matter. I'll talk about it again, um, maybe in another episode or maybe later if I have time, because I am conscious of the fact that I'm over 40 minutes into this episode. Let's go to 2018. There was a consultation. <laughs> this is a very short-lived one. I thought it was quite funny. He, uh, Richard Bruton uh, did a consultation on out-of-school education provision. So he wanted classrooms to be used out-of-school for childminding and so on. And effectively, I think that consultation ended very, very abruptly when, um, when schools said, well, if you're going to allow, uh, if you're going to ask classrooms to be used for out-of-school education provision, uh, well then, uh, or for childminding, well, when you're, when Richard Bruton in your office isn't being used for your um, for your work maybe that can also be used as a crash um, and he could I think everyone kind of saw the reasons uh, the very obvious reason um, why classrooms as much as it would be nice for them to be used for uh, out of school um, childminding there are a lot of things in classrooms that cannot be that the classrooms have to remain as classrooms if you have them as as childcare establishments after school how are they going to be changed back into classrooms the day after? Uh, for And what about, you know, privacy and GDPR and all that sort of stuff? Anyway, the appropriate... Uh, and and that, uh, in 2018, he carried on. He wanted to do... Um, on the 21st of May 2018, he published a circular directing schools to consult with parents and students on the use of smartphones and tablet devices. Oh, this was because of this stupid, stupid idea of this... Oh, I, 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 like, I'm sorry. And he is an idiot. I, I don't care. He's a, the positive guy that he is. Uh, this, this, this idiocy of, um, of, um, of, someone's, uh, of, of schools controlling or trying to control how children use smartphones and tablet devices inside and outside of school. I mean, a madness, an amazing madness that this was what was being expected of schools to try and tell parents how they should raise their children in terms of using smartphones and tablet devices in their homes. And, and some schools did this, one in particular where, where this idiotic consultation came from. And this, and this is what they asked for. It's the appropriate use, if any, of tablet devices and smartphones in school. The issues governing the use of smartphones and tablets with regard to, for example, recording videos and taking photos, it's all fine. The nature and scope of restrictions that might be as applied to schools, for example, age grounds, if smartphones should be, and here it is, if smartphones should be allowed outside of class time, okay, so outside during breaks or on school grounds, that's fair enough, or after school, and this is the last bit. And this is the bit which is unbelievable. Schools should use the opportunity of the consultation process to raise awareness, promote a shared approach regarding the appropriate use of digital technologies in the school and home. 2000, 21st of May, 2018. 
Fast forward to the 11th of March 2020 when the country locked down. What happened with tablets, uh, tablet devices, smartphones and all that sort of stuff and how we could restrict children from using those? Oh gosh, no, 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 no. We need face-to-face -face Zoom lessons 24 hours a day from schools. We want them all on screens all the time, don't we, though? Yeah, anyway, that's what happens. Well done on that consultation. 2018, uh, I suppose I can't, I can't be um, absolutely critical completely of every consultation because not all consultations are, uh, ignoring consultations are bad because um, in 2018, Richard Bruton uh, went, on, uh, went on about the RSE. So he wrote to the NCCA uh, to consider certain items around RSE, around consent, contraception, uh, positive sexual expression, relationships, safe use of the internet in terms of uh, sex, uh, social media and the effects on relationships and self-esteem and LGBTQ uh, plus matters. Um, and uh, Bruton also wanted teachers, students, parents and principals to be consulted over the experience of how RSE is delivered in schools. And as we have seen, this has caused interesting times for us in the education system, because if we're being honest, when we look at Catholic schools right now, the absolute elephants in the room the biggest vulgarest thing of all is how rse is taught or what were more accurately what is not taught and i think um you know the consultation around this has been very very interesting and if you've read any of the consultations even though i absolutely disagree with the majority of the views that were in those consultations because basically the catholic uh, church uh, got all of its members to write to, uh, to, to, to write for this consultation where they talked about their rights as Catholics to a Catholic education free from um, things like uh, LGBTQ matters uh, and um, the idea that sex would be anything but between a man and a woman uh, and so on. And uh, the majority of the uh, replies in that consultation actually were very very backward uh, if uh, if i can use a word um and certainly not uh, the norms of 21st century ireland so i suppose sometimes consultations can have a negative impact if they are listened to so that leaves us in a situation where i think i've probably gone on enough about consultations i think 45 minutes is way longer than i would have expected uh, to be speaking about this because whether i not whether or not i agree with the politicians intentions I ran through the fact that the word consultation has become meaningless, whether I agree with the intention of the consultation or not, um, or the impact of the consultation, because ultimately consultation is meaningless, because every time we're asked for our input, ultimately, as we've seen, it doesn't really matter what we say. The plans have already been made, and it's eventually, it will eventually enter the programme for government at some point. Um, you know, whenever this consultation started, whatever the government's plan is or whatever the, uh, the institution's uh, plan is, and they ask for consultation, whether that's the teaching council, whether it's the INTO, whether it's the, whatever it might be, they have already decided what's going to happen. As we've seen most recently, let's say we're going back to the Department of Education, speaking about the um, education and training boards taking over, at, uh, taking o at, uh, in education, 
in 2009-ish, 2008-2009, Mary Hannafin, who was the Minister for Education, had a plan for a state-run education system under the Education and Training Boards, the ETB, and that was cemented a decade, took a decade, uh, and we went through all sorts of consultations around um, the Patronage and Pluralism Programme about uh, how we should um, have a democratic model uh, in terms of uh, who should run schools. Remember the fact you had people uh, going around door to door asking their preschool children, who would you like to run um, a school uh, in your area? Um, and remember how that was done on a voting basis and blah, blah, blah. Well, by 2020, when the new government came in, the new programme for government between Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Green Party came in, cemented into that programme, it is now government policy that the ETB is prioritised for all schools and divestments. It's in there in the policy. There's no longer a democratic vote um, in terms of what who should run the schools or a democratic process for it. The government now are prioritising all new schools and divestments to the ETB. And we've seen this now with, um, if you look at the fastest growing um, patron body, in, in, uh, for want of a better word, in the, uh, in the education system now, it is the ETB who are gobbling up lots and lots of schools around the country now at the moment very small schools some big uh, the, the odd big school uh, such as the special school in cork um uh, and um, and so on so very interesting uh, to see um how something that's gone through a decade of consultation has ended up being as it was in the beginning a state-run model run through the etb that's exactly um what was wanted as mary hannafin herself wanted all the way back in 2008-ish Although, to be fair, I have to say she herself wanted a system still run on religious lines. Um, and thankfully, it, although it took a, te- a decade to stop that ha- from happening um, I- I- in 2019. But interestingly, even that process to, uh, from 2008-2019, about where, where ETB uh, community national schools were run along the religious lines, the ETB made their decision um, to stop segregating children along religious lines, despite defending it for a whole decade, um, it was it, and and until it basically became completely untenable and actually vulgar to be separating children on religious lines. But how did they say? How did they? Um, how did they make their decision? Well, what they said was they claimed it was done in consultation with parents and schools. The reality was it became untenable and vulgar. So what do I actually want out of this episode? Okay, I've spent the last forty minutes or so giving out. Um, I, I, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I think I've been trying to give out about the idea of consultations, even though I kind of, um, you know, go off on tangents around how I feel about the various consultations that happened, because obviously real consultation is good, and and we should certainly have consultations, even you know, well, not even if they're meaningless. I suppose it's and that's the thing that's missing from the consultation process. It's, it's the actual full process of consultation. So you ask people to, for their opinions on a, certain, on a certain item, and then you take that, take those responses, and you bring them together and produce a report based on what people have said. And then from those findings, you make some conclusions, and then you act on those conclusions. Now, if you don't agree with them, so for example, let's, 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 I'm, I'm being a bit vague here. So let's talk about an actual example here. Okay, and the one I'm most familiar with is the baptism barrier. Let's get back to that one because that's the one that directly affects me and my family. Um, because up until up until the baptism, baptism barrier was removed, my child wouldn't have been able to get into 
7% of primary schools, uh, or sorry, not that he wouldn't be able to get into them, but he would have been bottom of the list. So if that school was oversubscribed, he wouldn't have got in because of his, because he's, because of the, 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 the because of an accident of birth, basically. Okay, so I'm familiar with it. Uh, and, and while that, that's no longer the case, uh, I suppose in a way, um, he, he's still discriminated against in maybe 5% of schools who uh, would not have, would put him to the bottom of his, of their um, list, let's say. And it, anyway, we, 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 we won't go on too much about, about it, but I'm very familiar with it, let's say, just for want of a better word. So if one was to read all of the consultations, okay, for the baptism barrier. Now, and I did, because... You know, obviously, I was, it's, it's an absolute interest of mine. And it was very, very clear that the second least popular option from Richard's Bruton list of four, that was to allow minorities to continue to discriminate on entry. That was the second least popular option. But that was the one that was chosen because that was the one that Richard Bruton wanted in the first place. Now, I will grant you that no consultation should be a cold democratic vote either because that doesn't work. That doesn't work either. No, we, we know that because if you look at the RSE consultation process, the vast, the, the, well, not the vast, the majority of the people that, can, that, were, that, that entered the consultation were in favour of a Catholic flavour of RSE, which is completely unpalatable um, in 21st century Ireland. So, you know, I, I'm not naive enough to say, well, the most popular option was, um, you know, we should remove all discrimination um, from 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 our education system, I can't believe I'm saying that sentence, because you know maybe that isn't, maybe that might not be the right decision. Maybe Richard Bruton's idea was the right decision, but there's no justification. You know, there was no report on that consultation. There was no um, kind of real proper look through it and uh, and examination of it and to look at the findings and to decide from there. No, what happened was there was the consultation was simply there for the sake of it. Um, with no um, for you know, and, and and nothing that was said was actually taken on board whatsoever, or examined, or or looked at in any way, shape, or form. Um, another example, you know, is uniforms. So, like there was a consultation on uniforms. Now, uniforms are a terrible idea for lots of idea for lots of reasons. But if you survey parents now, seventy five percent of them will vote in favour of uniforms in schools. I you know, and I I know that, and you know, and and many of you. And the majority of you would probably agree that uniforms are a good idea. They're not. They're an absolutely terrible idea. And um, and and unless you are in a situation where you um, have really examined it um, and you've seen what it can cause, um, you, you, you're just going to anyway. You're probably stuck in your in your in your decision. And listen to my uniform episode if you want me to try and convince you. But for example, if you ask the parents, um, so for example, sorry, going with the uniforms, if you did the consultation on the uniforms effectively what will happen is uniforms will remain, even if it's a terrible idea. Okay, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying consultations, uh, you should always go with the majority because sometimes the majority doesn't work. But, you know, if you ask parents, um, so, I mean, if you look, again, going back to divestment and things like that, you know, most people, um, you know, the, the government's, uh, pro, uh, you know, the government's plan, patronage and, uh, and the pluralism idea you know, is seen really uh, by by pretty much everybody now um, as a good thing. You know, if you talk to most principals or most schools or most people, they'll say, yeah, yeah, we need more school choice. That's what patronage and program is. But if you ask the parents in Malahide back in 2018, should they divest one of their schools away from Catholic patronage to allow for choice? And that's the consultation. 
Well, you know what happened there, don't you? And you get the idea. Consultation doesn't always offer the right results, but you still have to follow it. Because if there's no analysis of the data from a consultation, as, as we saw with Malahide, when, the, when basically there is no, uh, what happened was no school divested, or uh, when it came to school uniforms, nothing really happened as a result of it, that everything stayed the same because we didn't analyze the data. When it came to the baptism barrier, we didn't analyze the data. And what you need to do, uh, and what really happened was it didn't really matter what anybody said when it came to the consultations. Richard Bruton had chosen the option for the baptism barrier that he wanted before the consultation and despite the consultation proving there was no appetite whatsoever for discrimination on entry to schools, he pressed ahead with what he wanted. And ultimately, if we are going to have consultations, we need to follow a full process of consultation um, rather than just the, just the asking bit of it. We need to analyse the data afterwards and act on it. So if I were Minister for Education, that's exactly what I would do. My job would certainly be, like the other ministers, be to have a vision of what I wanted. But if I was actually to consult people, if I was going to go to the, to, to the trouble of making a consultation, I would ensure that it would be transparent and it would actually mean something to the people that I've asked to consult with me. We're already living in a world where spin is causing all sorts of dangerous issues. The rise of the right, for me being the most worrying, and schools are as guilty as everyone else for taking part in this spin. Like saying that they're inclusive when they aren't. Like saying they have small class sizes when every school has the same pupil teacher-pupil ratio. Like saying they're centres of excellence when every school is the same. Like coercing families from neighbouring parishes to move to their school rather than the school in their village, in the other village, for some spinned-up reason, whatever it could be. And I could go on and on and on about the various bits of spin and propaganda and all that sort of stuff that schools are using all the time so it isn't just the politicians, the representative bodies and so on. And if we take part in the spinning as schools, and if, we, if, we, if we're the ones saying sentences like we are an inclusive school or we have small class sizes if we're a small school, you're not, you have the same class sizes. And if, uh, if we're saying you know, that we're centres of excellence or that, we're, um, that bilingual schools have better results than others, you know, they, this kind of dangerous talk of trying to convince an agenda so that we can divide and conquer each other and so on. What do we expect to happen? And if we take part in the spinning, we can't get angry when our representative bodies do it too. Well, I certainly didn't think it would take an hour for me to go through this episode. I thought it was going to be one of these very short episodes. Uh, but I, I found myself going through lots of rabbit holes. And I hope, um, I hope. I mean, I know I ranted a lot in that episode uh, as well. So my apologies um, <laughs> if a lot of it didn't make a lot of sense, especially as I didn't have a script for about half of it. Um, and um, it, it's just interesting to me, the whole idea of why we do consultations. Uh, uh, and I suppose really, if I was to sum it up, like in the end, I think I got there. Um, where, where it was like, it's all well and good having consultations, but if we don't actually act on what the consultation feedback is, then there's no point in having those consultations. So I, I suppose what I'd recommend in a way is don't have consultations if you're not going to act on them. Just push ahead with your agenda. You know, that's why you're in power. That's why you've been elected to make decisions instead of the, 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 
the false, um, I suppose, uh, the falseness of pretending uh, that you're doing uh, a consultation. So anyway, uh, that's uh, pretty much all I have to say on this uh, issue. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, it's a longer one than usual, so um, uh, hopefully uh, you, you've, uh, you've got through it all. Um, this, ep- uh, this podcast is available to you uh, on any podcasting app, and I release them every Friday evening. But if you uh, if you subscribe, you might find it landing in your inbox a little earlier than 5.59 on a Friday. Um, if you've enjoyed it, I'd really appreciate you subscribing or reviewing the podcast so other people can find it more easily. Um, thanks a million for listening and uh, take care and we'll catch you again in a, either next week or the week after. I'm recording this in the summer holidays, so I might take myself a little break. All the best. Take care. Bye bye. <laughs>